Before I introduce our guest, I have a brief announcement. The April 7th podcast will feature Gene Rice. He and his daughter wrote the book, Grad to Grown Up, 68 Tips to Excel in Your Personal and Professional Life. Gene has agreed to donate a copy of his book to one of the Adventures with Grammy newsletter subscribers. I have a preview copy of the book and will attest to this being a perfect gift for someone entering the business world, whether that person is a high school graduate, a college graduate, or someone looking to advance in a career. To sign up for the Adventures with Grammy newsletter, visit the website adventureswithgrammy.com and click the newsletter sign up button, or simply text the word Grammy to 22828. Rob Gorski has three sons, all of whom are on the autism spectrum. When he first learned about autism, Rob was angry, bewildered, and often felt alone. He poured his thoughts and feelings into a blog he never imagined anyone would read, but they did. In 2020, he launched a podcast, The Autism Dad. Rob is with us today to share his journey. Welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast, Rob. I really appreciate your being here. I have listened to almost every episode of your podcast and am really impressed with the guests you have, as well as your honesty about what it's like to be the father of three boys who have autism. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Would you give our listeners just a short rundown of why you started this podcast? Well, I've been writing for about... I guess about 13 years now, something like that. I get interviewed sometimes on, on podcasts like this, and I had never done anything on my own. And I just thought, you know, uh, I wanted to have a way of communicating with people that was just different for, for me anyways. And, and sometimes it's easier to just have a conversation with people than it is to try and figure out how to write it. It's been a really interesting journey. It's, it's a lot of fun. I get to connect with a lot of really cool people and, you know, hopefully bring some value to the community and help connect people with things that can improve their quality of life or, you know, help their kids. Tell us about your sons. I have three kids, all of whom have been diagnosed as being on a spectrum in kind of various different places. My oldest is 22. He's been through a lot. He's got a lot of uh, health problems as well as uh, cognitive delay and things like that. He's come a long way. He's, he's going through the process of getting funding to get independent uh, living. He's going to, I think, move probably going to be some kind of like a group home environment where he has some supervision, but very proud of him because, you know, there was a time where we didn't think that was something that was in the cards, but he's doing amazing. My Elliot's going to be 16 on Friday and he does really well. He's such a good kid. He has a passion for photography and uh, coding video games and very bright, very kind, very empathetic, just an amazing human being. And uh, my youngest he can be kind of, kind of the handful, I guess. And he's just, he's 13. He'll be 14 in June. And uh, he's going to be in high school next year. He does really, really well too. You know, he's very smart, you know, makes friends, does well in school. And he's just a joy to be around. My kids are, they struggle with things like anxiety and sensory related things like that, and tend to do pretty well elsewhere in their life. So there's been challenges along the way, but you know, a lot of hard work has gone into helping them better navigate the world and finding them resources that they need, that they need 
to overcome some of the challenges that they were struggling with and just to kind of improve their quality of life, but they're doing really, really well. What kind of symptoms or behaviors led to them being diagnosed with autism? Uh, my oldest was diagnosed in 2005. And, and he's a little bit different too, because he developed typically until he was about four years old and then he regressed. So to us at the time, it felt like we put him to bed, Gavin, he woke up a completely different person. His likes, his dislikes changed. Uh, he didn't like being touched. And there was a lot of behavioral changes and food aversions and things like that, that, that weren't present before. And it, and it wasn't overnight, but it was, it just, it felt like it was overnight because it was a probably a gradual process, but part of the diagnosis for childhood disintegrative disorder requires that to be part of it, where you feel like you put them to bed one person, they woke up somebody else. So we started that journey to find out what was going on. And that led to uh, an autism diagnosis back in 2005. My other two were actually both diagnosed about the same time. Uh, my youngest was nonverbal at a very difficult time. I mean, there was barely any communication. We were teaching him sign language and things like that, but he was very frustrated and very angry. And he also had some health issues that he was struggling with. And as we went through the process of diagnosing, getting him diagnosed, we discovered that our well, Elliot, while he presented very differently than his brothers, was on the spectrum as well. And so they both were diagnosed probably within six months of each other. And like I was talking to you off the air with my middle child, it was a really difficult thing for me because I had kind of gauged autism to be what my oldest presented as and what my youngest presented as. And I did not see the signs in my middle child. And it wasn't until we were at, pretty sure it was preschool, maybe it might've been kindergarten, like the, the visitation before, like you start school the next day or whatever. And I saw him interact with the other students in the classroom. And it felt like I was just hit by a train. Like I, it became so obvious to me that there was something going on a very emotional experience. And I felt like I'd let him down because I didn't see it. And it just, so then that led to pursuing that diagnosis and he was diagnosed as well. I know the listeners who have been following my podcast know that I am retired from teaching and that my main focus was special education on the high school level. And I have worked with students who go from one end of the spectrum to the other. I've worked with students who are who were nonverbal, who had aggressive behavior challenges. I remember one student in particular who wanted to stay up all night long watching movies and playing video games. And then when he came to school, he wanted to sleep all day. And to the other end where you know, children were, their IQs were so incredibly high and except for some social interactions, they, they were verbal. They, you know, they got very good grades in, in school because they were, their intellect was completely intact and there was no cognitive issues at all. With autism, at least from my perspective as a teacher, is that the manifestations of autism are so varied that it's difficult sometimes to pick up on that. And it sounds yeah. like that's what your experience has been too. Yeah. I, I think autism is probably one of the most misunderstood, confusing human conditions. And, you know, I, I don't know that it's, they just sort of threw everything under the same umbrella, which makes it even more confusing, but yeah, it's, it's not a cookie cutter diagnosis. I mean, you can have a hundred people diagnosed on the spectrum and a hundred people have unique 
characteristics and personalities and likes and dislikes. There's, there's always overlap in certain areas that are kind of commonalities to someone on the spectrum, but everybody's unique, right? And so everybody can present differently, especially if you're going, you know, between boys and girls, there's, there's a difference between how boys and girls present. So it can be tricky to, to pick up on things when you are not, when you're not aware of that. And even when you are aware of that, it could still be tricky. What are some of the typical presentations of autism that you've seen or that you've talked with other parents that they've seen or how their children present it? Typically you see uh, missed milestones, speech and language delays. You know, sometimes kids go from like sitting to walking. They, they skip crawling, lack of eye contact. Like you had mentioned, we were, we were talking to my son was uh, nonverbal and they, they thought that he was deaf because he didn't respond to noise and failed all his hearing screenings. Like even, even ones where they track his eye movement to see if he's involuntarily reacting to the, to the sound and he failed everything. And so they, they, uh, they thought that he was uh, deaf, but he was just tuning it all out. He was just ignoring us. That's one of the things that presented with, with my son. And, and I think a lot of families will just find, you know, their experience to be, you know, different and, and I guess at the end of the day, as, as a parent, you know, if you think that there's something not right or, you know, they're, they're not, they're missing milestones or developmentally, they seem to be behind, just go talk to your doctor. And if, and if your doctor doesn't give you, if you feel like you're not being taken seriously, then find another doctor, right? Get a second opinion. As a parent, you know, your kid better than anybody else. And you have to learn to trust your instincts. And if you feel something's wrong, there might be something wrong, even if someone on the outside doesn't see it. So I agree with you. I think parents are the best people or who know their children best. And I, I can't agree with you more. It's just like, if, if it doesn't feel right, you have to take care of it. And the earlier you do that, the better. What are some of the things that you have found in dealing with children day to day? Like, what are some tips? Like if somebody, if a listener out there says, you know, I, I think my son or my daughter has autism. I would think the first thing you would say is go have the child checked out, you know, have, have the tests done, have the neuropsych exams done. If they've been diagnosed, they're just diagnosed. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you recommend that parents do like some books, some apps, like what would you say to a, a parent whose child has just been diagnosed with autism? Uh, my friend, Amy Nielsen wrote a book. She's a, an autism parent as well called takes a village. And it's all about building your support system because when I, when I first uh, experienced my oldest being diagnosed, there was really I mean, we knew about like Rain Man and uh, things like that, but there was really not a lot of um, people talking about it in real life. And I, and I think if you are somebody who is just going through this process or you have a child who was just diagnosed or whatever, there's, you know, there's a couple of things that I think are really important. One, you need to take care of yourself. Like that has to come first. Self-care is, is absolutely vital because you can't pour from an empty glass. You have to be selfish before you can be selfless. And if you don't take care of yourself and put back into your physical and emotional bank accounts, you'll bankrupt yourself and you won't be any good for your kids. So you have to take care of yourself. And it's good to start that off early. 
find people, connect with other parents uh, who are dealing with similar things. You know, other autism parents now you can find them everywhere online, and it's comforting to know and be reminded that you're not the only person out there going through this, and that other people will. Uh, get it, they understand, and they can be very supportive. The big things initially, self-care, and then start putting together a support system, a, a group of people who you can uh, fall back on and, and who get you and who understand what you're feeling and, and you know, you don't have to explain yourself to. I think that's sound advice. I am also struck by what you said about there not being a whole lot of people that you knew about when your older son was diagnosed, because I can remember in 2005, 6, 2007, there were very few students being diagnosed with autism. And it wasn't until probably 2011, 12, that it became more recognized and more emphasis put on it through the school systems as well. One of the things that I've always been incredibly grateful for and happy for children with autism is that parents really rallied together to force legislation through and to force awareness on people. I think that's awesome because without the parental input and that parental force, I don't think we would have made the strides in recognizing autism or school systems providing the supports that children need. Does that fit with your experience as a parent? I don't know. It's kind of tough. Like I think that it's really important that parents, like when I first started out, and I'm not sure if this will answer your question or not, but when I first started out, there was nobody talking about it. I mean, we, you were still dealing with like, it was one in 25,000 kids diagnosed, something like that. I was so overwhelmed and I was struggling and I ended up starting my blog kind of accidentally. I thought it, I had no idea what I was doing and I, I just needed a place to vent what I was feeling and was not meant for anybody to ever read, but people started reading it. And, and it sort of filled this vacuum where there was nobody talking about it. And then all of a sudden I kind of fell into that and parents were finding that they weren't alone and that there were people out there who were just as frustrated or overwhelmed or struggling or dealing with mixed emotions about things or not knowing what to do or, or, or being even angry with your kids or resentful because of the challenges that, you know, they had to face. I mean, we're all human. We all feel things. And I think that it's so important that we continue to have a conversation as honestly and transparently as we can, because it's the only way that we're going to ever really help people truly understand how diverse the autism community is and help other parents to connect with each other and, and remember that they're not alone, that they're not the only ones going through this, that there are people out there who understand and they can be supportive and uh, empathetic and, and all of that stuff. So I, I, I think that's important that we are uh, having these conversations. About the same time that your son was diagnosed, I, as a teacher, saw very few kids with autism. When I retired four years ago, there were a lot of kids being diagnosed with autism and there are special schools yeah. now for kids with autism and a lot more supports for students in school. And I often wish that parents whose children have dyslexia could rally together 
and do what the parents of children with autism did. And I think the whole special education delivery would be much better for all of these children. Are there any, any kinds of technology that you have found that have helped your children? I guess the best thing that I've found over the years, and I'm very, very careful about how I answer this, is, is probably something called Mightier. And it's a, it's a biofeedback video game platform kind of thing that helps kids learn to emotionally self-regulate. My youngest used it for years. It was what helped him connect how he was feeling with what he needs to do to address those feelings in real time. So rather than like freaking out and screaming and yelling and hitting his brother or whatever, he, he learned it to recognize how he was feeling, remove himself from the situation, take deep breaths, whatever. And it, and it really helped to reduce the amount of meltdowns that he experienced, as well as improved his overall quality of life because it empowered him to have more control over his emotions than his emotions had over him. I've used and been approached by a lot of companies over the years that deal with things that are targeted at this community. And Mightier is one of the few that, uh, that I do actually recommend to parents. And I have a whole write-up on it at theautismdad.com forward slash Mightier. All my kids' experiences with it, whatever. So if you want to check that out, you can do that. But um, that's a big thing. Mightier is, is a big thing. What about other books about autism for parents and grandparents to read? It Takes a Village is, uh, I, I recommend that. It, w- it wasn't until recently that I really started identifying books that can help me out in areas of my life. And, and even now it's like audible. So I listen to them. I don't, I don't usually sit down and read it because I just don't have the time or the attention span, but there are lots of blogs that, that are out there that, that I think probably might be of more benefit to parents than, than reading published books, because a lot of times books are, are polished in, and maybe not quite as relatable as having a parent who's going through something in the trenches like that day and they write about what they experienced and and you can read that and, and connect with that person on a very emotional level and and gain insight and comfort and experience from them sharing their experience so i'm more of a fan personally of like connecting with other parents and being a resource uh, for each other but that was just my experience i'm weird and that's just sort of my. Well, Rob, you're experienced and I appreciate your advice, which is why I asked you to be on the podcast. So what I'm not going to ask you to do right now is name the blogs, but if you could send me a list of a couple that you think are exceptional, Mm -hmm. I will include it in the show notes for uh, parents and grandparents to read when this podcast airs. I know that on a couple of your episodes, you talked about the divorce. Was that because of your children being, having the diagnosis of autism? And I asked that because I often saw parents at IEP meetings where one parent refused to come because he or she did not believe that he could have a child or she could have a child who had a learning difference or, or something not typical with their child. And I know that the stress of raising a child that is not typically developing can create major issues within families. And I was just wondering how you and your ex-wife dealt with that 
Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I do talk about it pretty frequently. So it's, it's a good question and it's a fair question. My kids and their diagnosis really had nothing to do with my divorce, I guess. I think what happens in a lot of cases is, well, parenting is hard, period. When you factor in things like special needs, that makes it even more complicated and challenging. And I think like the divorce rate's 51% anyways, just across the board. I do believe that introducing additional stressors and challenges into a married situation can create more marital stress. Do I think that it has to end in divorce? Absolutely not. I, I think it, it's how you choose to, to approach it. In my situation, it was not anything to do with my kids and really not really anything to do about me, but it took me a, a lot of therapy to figure that out. It was, you know, she wanted a different life. That was pretty much it. Could the other things have had a impact on that? I'm, I'm sure to some extent, because there's, there's mental health issues that are at play and humans can cope only so well for so long. And if you're not taking care of yourself and, and you are not prioritizing your own self-care and, and your mental health and everything else, that a lot of these things can begin to pile up. So I, I think it's more about how you choose to go through these challenges, right? I choose to go through this with a partner rather than go through this on my own. But at the same time, like we're, we're doing pretty good on our own. You know, it's been that way for quite a few years now. I don't really know anything else. I don't think that it's a fair assumption to, to say that if you have an autistic kid and you get divorced, it's because of that autistic kid. What I think happens, and humans aren't super creative when it comes to destroying relationships and marriage. I mean, it's like one of three things usually. I do think it's how the couple approach the situation that can have an impact on how it, how it affects them. And rather than not talk about it or not get help or focus on each other, you know, they can allow the stress and anxieties and pressure to, to drive a wedge between them and then maybe downhill from there. But I, I think it can play a role and I'm sure that it does, but I don't think it has to do with your kids being autistic. I think it has to do with the people and the choices that are made along uh, the way. Cause you can choose to find a way through it, or you can choose to be overcome by it, I think. And I feel like I should just say that that's just a very general statement. And I have no idea what anybody out there is dealing with. So I'm not judging them or anything like that. And, and there may be situations, like I said, where humans just aren't very creative when it comes to destroying marriages that, that are at play. And, and this stuff has nothing to do with that. But I don't think it has to be a death blow to a marriage that you have a diagnosis of a child that has special needs or autism or something. I think it has to, you have to adjust your approach to life and you have to be committed to taking care of each other and focusing on each other and taking care of your marriage and all that other stuff. But in my case, my kids had, I mean, they had nothing to do with it. It was, it was uh, more of a personal choice on, on her part and we have no control over that. So we just, we move on. Thank you for sharing that, that answers your question. So you mentioned vaccines have your <laughs> children. Well, they're all old. All enough. of them have been fully vaccinated. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> They've all had all three of their COVID shots. They'll get any boosters that are recommended. They get their flu shots every year. There is zero evidence based in reality and science that indicates that vaccines have anything to do with autism. People follow that debunked stuff from Wakefield, you know, years and years ago, that's been disproven countless times. I think what happens a lot of times is that you don't start noticing the symptoms of autism until about the time that kids are getting 
their vaccines, you know, at two, three years old. And I, I think for a lot of parents, they want something to blame. You need something to fight against. You need something to hold accountable for whatever happened. And it's just the way it is. I mean, it's genetic. I'm glad you talked about that one particular study because I remember so many parents saying that it had to do with vaccines or the the childhood vaccines, not even COVID. That study that you refer to has been debunked so many times. And I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. It was a, a researcher with an agenda who used a very small sampling and unfortunately, and who his got paid work, to do it? Yes, he you know, got I mean, paid it, to do yeah, it. It's, it's and yeah, it junk science. I, I think it set back the whole credibility of autism and the diagnosis and just everything related. I think it's just set it back, and it's just given so much false information to parents. It's just really sad that that even happened. A really interesting thing is if you talk to an autistic adult and ask them what their feelings on vaccines are, they, in my experience, find it insulting that people believe that vaccines cause them to be who they are because they're who they're meant to be. They may approach the world differently. They may see things differently, but they're not broken. And, and there's different degrees of what, what people are dealing with. So everything is subjective. I think that, you know, some people have significantly more challenges to deal with on the autism side than, than others do, but everybody brings something to the world and contributes in their own way. And to say that like who they are as a side effect of a vaccine is that's a pretty insulting thing to say. I agree with, with my friends in the adult community that that it's, that is kind of a terrible thing to say to people. (laughs) I I just want to add this uh, real quick. So it eliminates any hate mail that you get or that I get vaccine injury is real though. Like vaccine injury does happen. It's incredibly rare, but there are people who experience some kind of trauma as a result of a vaccine. It's not because the vaccine did something wrong. It's because there's a, an unknown genetic predisposition to something that caused that reaction. I'm always very careful when I, when I talk about this, because there are, I've met families that have had vaccine injury kids and they go through a tremendous amount and I don't want to invalidate their experience, but it is incredibly rare. You're more likely to be, I think I was talking to somebody and it's like, you're more likely to be struck by lightning and hit by a car at the exact same time than, than to be injured by a vaccine. You know, people take over the counter supplements that are more dangerous and, and vaccines are one of the greatest, if not the greatest medical advancement in human history. And I think COVID has, has taught us should have taught us that they are an invaluable resource that can save countless lives. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big science and, and fact person. So I uh, don't like a lot of the conspiracy theory and stuff like that, that floats around. People get hurt. I agree. Uh, show me the facts, show me real data. And then that's where I go. I have a, a couple of other questions I'd like to, to talk about. One is, did you ever experience where your children were having meltdowns in public? I know when my typically, I have three children, when they were little and they're all typically developing children, they would have a meltdown in the grocery store, usually because they were tired and hungry. And I had one more thing I just had to do and it put them over the limit. So they're in the middle of the grocery store, kicking and screaming. And you have all these parents looking at you like, 
what did you do to that child? You must be a horrible mother because your child is having a meltdown right in the middle of the grocery store. How do you handle that with a child who has a medical diagnosis of something that a typical child doesn't have? Well, let me tell you, I uh, stopped caring a long time ago. Good for you. Other people thought, you know, when you put yourself out there, uh, the way that I put myself out there, you get everyone and their brother sharing their unsolicited opinions. And I have had some horrible things said to me. I've had death threats. I've had anything you can imagine as a result of sharing what my experience has been. I just don't care anymore. And I, and I think the sooner you get to that point, the better off you're going to be. Because if, if we go to the store and I mean, my kids don't really melt down very often anymore because they're, they're older, but I mean, when they melted down, like I, I wasn't upset with them because I know that that's just a sign of distress. If someone's going to sit there and judge me because, or judge my kid because of how they're behaving in, in that moment, it just shows their ignorance. They have no idea what's going on. And I've never really had to, I've only, I think I've only ever said something once or twice in 22 years where I actually, I let somebody get under my skin. I said something back. I, I don't care. I, I don't care what other people think. I know what's going on. And to me, that's all that matters. It's not easy necessarily to get to that point, but I think the sooner you get there, the better, because the world is full of judgmental people. And there's, there's no point in giving them any of your energy. So just let them think what they're going to think because it doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything. I mean, people are cruel and it can make your day harder. And I, and I understand firsthand what it's like to have someone judge you in that moment of vulnerability. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything. You know, you, you just, you just gotta you know, know who you are and know who your kids are and know what you're dealing with and surround yourself with people who are compassionate and understanding and share your story so that those people who are judging you now uh, may have a better understanding of what is going on. So the next time they're, you know, maybe they aren't so quick to judge, they can show a little empathy and compassion. Several episodes ago, like maybe 20 episodes ago, I interviewed a man by the name of Douglas Knoll, who is a author who wrote a book called de-escalate and I asked him and that was the whole his whole book is about how to de-escalate angry people or you know people children having meltdowns and I asked him that same question and he said that you cannot think the the world is focusing on you you have to take a deep breath and focus on your child what does your child need right then and I thought that was a powerful answer. And I haven't had that situation where out in public, you know, I've had a a grandchild melt down, but that his answer always stuck with me. It's like, it doesn't matter what other people are thinking. It really matters that you focus on that child and what that child needs right then. And that Mm -hmm. just, it kind of gave me permission or boosted my confidence that that was the right thing to do. So I appreciated his answer and I appreciate your answer too. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You mentioned Rain Man. What's portrayed in the media are not necessarily representative of the entire spectrum. So you have the good doctor who has autism and he is a brilliant surgeon. And then you have Rain Man who is actually based on a real character who is brings in all this money for this company. And, but that's one portion of the autism spectrum. And then 
on your podcast this morning, you are interviewing a producer and the principal character of a new movie yeah, that's ma- coming major, out. Yeah, Major Dodson and Kim Bass. Yes. Uh, major Dodson is the, he played Tyson in the movie Tyson's Run. And Kim Bass was the writer and director of, of the of the movie. And it's just, it's it's about an autistic kid who is dealing with a lot, like making transitions at school and, and his like family is kind of falling apart because there's turmoil kind of as a result of, you know, he's not causing the turmoil, but, but it's, it's how some of the connections need to be f- fixed, I guess. And, uh, you know, he decides that he wants to run a marathon. You know, he's a non-athletic kid in, in a movie and uh, he trains to run a marathon so that he, cause he thinks that that can uh, heal his family. And it's sort of the journey of, of him doing that. And it's played by major Dodson who actually is on the spectrum. So that was really cool to see, you know, that representation in there and the movie's really good. I, I really enjoyed it. I watched the trailer and when it comes out, I definitely would like to, to watch it. What I hear from you, what I know from my experience as a teacher is that every single person on this earth is important and no one who develops atypically is broken. Everyone has something to offer. We just have to Mm -hmm. be open to that. I used to teach for seven years. I taught kids with severe disabilities and it wasn't just autism. I mean, it was those spectrum of medically fragile kids who have these weird illnesses and syndromes that only 10 people in the whole world have. You know, I was fortunate to have one of them in my classroom. I had a a student who needed to be fed, who needed to have diapers changed. And people would say, why are you wasting your education on that child? And it's like, because that child is teaching Mm -hmm. me something, you know, maybe her mission on this earth is to teach other people. I just feel that when people look at children or adults who have differences, if they look at them with pity or sorrow or disdain, that is such a wrong attitude that we need to look at them as people who have needs and feelings and how can we make their lives better? Yep, I agree. I am getting quite emotional (laughs) and I've never done that on a podcast. That's okay it's it's real and it's authentic and it's genuine and you know you have a passion for for what you're doing and you can empathize with the people who are going through it and that's that's not a bad thing what advice would you give grandparents who are not dealing with the atypicality on a day-to-day basis how can they support the family i i think that educating yourself you know again reading blogs uh talking to other parents who are uh going through these things joining there's support groups out there that you can you can be a part of where you can just learn from other people's experiences and then you can sort of apply that to you know whoever it, it applies to in your life. Everybody has to find their way. But I think what really matters is that if, if you want to be a productive part of your grandchild's life, if, if that's what it is, follow the parent's lead, educate yourself, ask questions, show interest, you know, know that assuming that the parents have accepted the diagnosis and they're like doing everything that they should be doing for their kids. Everything they do is for a reason. And whether you understand it or not, it is what it is because it's what the parents feel is best for, for their, for their child. And it, and it's not always going to make sense because it doesn't always make sense to us either as parents, but they're doing 
the best that they can. And what they need is support in ways that actually benefit them and, and take the load off their, their shoulders for a little bit and, and helps their child out. So I think being actively involved, being empathetic and being open to different ways of thinking or, or different ways of seeing things is probably the best advice that I, I think that I can, I can give. Any words of wisdom before we wrap up? Just a reminder in general for parents is that you have to take care of yourselves. Caregiver burnout is a serious thing. Uh, we have this well-intentioned but horribly misguided approach of putting everything into our kids no matter what the cost, and it's not sustainable in most human situations. You got to take care of yourself. You have to find a better balance, put back into yourself, however that is in a healthy, constructive way, so that you can be the person that your child needs you to be when they need it. Self-care is is very, very important. It helps with maintaining relationships and marriages. Tell our listeners how they can sure. find you and where you are in this great universe. You can find me at theautismdad.com. And from there, you can go find me everywhere. The podcast is the Autism Dad podcast. You can listen to it on any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. Yeah. If you just remember theautismdad.com, you'll find your way. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.